0: You know, I didn't realize that my life had worth outside of money. It was at that moment that I realized that I had worth outside of all of the things that I had thought made me worthy. It wasn't my cars. It wasn't my watches. It wasn't my salary. I was a friend and nothing more.
1: Welcome to the Wake Up Your Warrior podcast with me, Christine Cohen. Every week, we will share conversations with humans whose lives have been transformed by the power of movement on their mental health, break down the latest neuroscience, and hopefully inspire you to wake up your inner warrior to fight for the best versions of you every single day. Let's get into today's episode. Hey, Warrior, welcome back to another episode of the Wake Up Your Warrior podcast. Today, I have one of my very best friends as our guest, the one and only Craig Stanlund. And I'll give you kind of my informal intro before I give the formal intro. And that is Craig and I met, gosh, probably like six or seven years ago at this point point. I had joined a gym in the Lower East Side because I was living there at the time and I didn't want to travel all the way up to Chelsea to in New York City to go work out, which is where I was training my clients. So I joined a gym in my hood and Craig was working the front desk and it was just the kind of connection where you just sort of meet someone and you start chatting about so many interesting things. He struck me as such a light, as such a bright personality, as such a bright energy. And if you have ever met anyone where they just kind of are very magnetic and charismatic and, but not in a, you know, a false way, in a way that is like, wow, there's something different about this person. There's something special about this person. And, um we just sort of hit it off in terms of having great conversation. A few weeks into knowing each other, just you know, talking at the gym, he said that he read my story on my website and was really um, inspired by it and was really um, just taken by the vulnerability of it. And he then shared with me his own story, which he's going to talk about with us today, but just to give you A little tidbit, Craig was arrested and sentenced to two years of federal prison for committing the crime of mail fraud. Um, And his story of kind of hitting rock bottom, of realizing why he even chose to commit that action, that crime, um, from a place of completely low self-worth of... Just not really seeing what was important in life, and how only through that experience of losing everything, losing his house, his homes, his wife um, left him, and seemingly, you know, every material thing that he thought was the most valuable thing in his life, he really found what was important. And it was only through his own. Persistence of of continuing to dive deeper into himself and take him his own self on. Did he really even come to the place that he's in now? So, our conversation bounces around in a really good way. It starts off with a really interesting story about just kind of signs from the universe and how that how that can guide you and uh, help you along the way, and then goes into you know his personal story his rock bottom. I will give a trigger warning. We do talk about suicide. We do talk about suicidal ideation. So for anyone uh, who reaches that point in the story and wants to fast forward, I totally understand. But it is so powerful to also hear it and hear how like the major catalyst for him transforming for that moment of darkness to turn into like a glimpse of light. So Um, without further ado, I'm going to give his formal bio and then we'll jump right into the conversation. So in 2012, Craig Stanlin made a choice that would cost him everything after exploiting the warranty policy of one of the largest tech companies in the world for almost a year. The FBI finally knocked on his door. He was arrested and sentenced to two years of federal prison, followed by three years of supervised release and ordered to pay $834,307 in restitution. He lost his wife, his homes, his cars, his career, and even his identity. He wanted nothing more than to die. A well-timed prison visit from his best friend of over 30 years turned his life around. Today, Craig is a reinvention architect and mindset coach, best-selling author of the book, Blank Canvas, a TEDx and keynote speaker, and he works one-on-one with clients so that they can re-architect the life of their dreams. Let's jump in today's conversation.
0: Have you done that before?
1: You don't use wireless
0: headphones either? I don't. I don't. Um, a, I don't feel like buying them and then um kim my old uh, my old coach she was like you know i don't want to sound like a a weirdo or like conspiracy person she goes but i'm on the phone all day long and i just don't think i should have those in my ear ear yeah. next to my brain yeah yeah and i was like well, that's a really good point
1: that's been part of the reason why i don't have i don't use them for this i use them to jump rope and i use them at the gym but i don't use them for work
0: they don't come out when you jump rope.
1: I wear head wireless when I jump rope for that reason. That's literally the only reason I bought them.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, we might even get it. We might get into this, but it's funny. I've been doing something so different with my, um, with my workouts. Like, um, I'm still- Wait, don't tell me.
1: Save it. Save it. (laughs) Don't don't ruin it.
0: Is this going to- Is all of this nonsense going to make the episode? Do you you want it to? You're going to put this up on Instagram?
1: <laughs> I actually okay. like the candid intros, especially when I know somebody, because they're like us being ourselves and then I'll say like action and then you like turn into your professional voice and then you have to like relax again.
0: <laughs> so it is Exactly. Do you re- well do you remember my episode with um with James? Yeah. Like he just hits record. They just hit record. We're just talking. Yeah, I kind of introduce like that. me. Like, he's, we're just talking about prison, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, by the way, we're with Craig Stanley.
1: We're here. We're doing yeah. it. I kind of like that because then your brain doesn't have to be like, wait, I need to get ready, you know? And right. then I even notice my own voice sounds different when I'm like, okay, let's begin. And it just becomes this, like, very, you know, what do you call it? Your showtime voice. And then it, then I get into myself again, but, like... It's like the intros and the X and the exits. They're the most awkward. So maybe James is on to something.
0: I'm gonna be I'm gonna be so attuned to my radio voice now. When you do when you're like, okay, we're going. I'm gonna Oh, be like, I can
1: tell your radio voice. I can, can tell. You? Yeah. I mean, I think everyone can tell. If they don't, then they should probably listen to themselves more.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that I I would almost hope doesn't make the other cut is I am a little proud of my voice. So I definitely, I do I do turn it up a little bit for the radio <laughs> voice.
1: A voice for radio. A voice a for, for radio. For, for, well, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, well, we can just get right into, like jump into it, but I like to keep it casual. It's not really an interview, it's a conversation. So I'll ask you questions, but you can ask me questions back. I feel like some Ooh. people are... I know when I'm being interviewed, I'm like, oh, I want to ask the host this, but then I feel sometimes odd doing it. Like, I don't know if they want me to do that, but you can do that.
0: I love, I love doing that. And really quickly, I think we're going to have a great episode because I know you don't necessarily like birds, but there are two hawks floating outside my window right now. And that means that things are good.
1: Is that your sign? Is that a, Uh, is that a
0: sign for you? My spirit animal's um, a hawk. No way. Oh, absolutely. Yep.
1: How did you even figure that out?
0: So this is a really cool story. And I think I'm glad that we're recording. Yeah. So I was reading um, Tools of Titans from Tim Ferriss, and he starts every chapter with a couple of questions, one of which is, what is your spirit animal? So I was reading that. And then it was it was I I read it on the subway home from the gym when I worked at the gym. And then in the next morning, when I was journaling, I started really thinking about that question i said what is my spirit animal and i went back in time to when i had just started my corporate job and i was driving down uh, route 22 in bedford it was like a rainy snowy really miserable kind of day and there was a hawk on the side of the road that had been struck by a car but it was still alive it was about 7:45 in the morning and my instinct just told me to pull over and to to save it I didn't know who to call, you know, Bedford, New York is a tiny little town, but so I called the police department and they put me in touch with uh, a bird sanctuary. And the guy said, are you willing to keep an eye on the bird until I get there? I'll be about 20 minutes. I said, absolutely. So I'm in my suit. I'm going to be late for work. I had just started this new job and I'm trekking through the woods following this hawk and The guy finally came, he found me in the woods and he had these big gloves on and he picked the hawk up and he said, do you want to see it? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. And he held it up to me. And I was just this beautiful, majestic creature that I was just like so blown away that I helped. He goes, he said, you know, it's only a broken wing. Um, She's going to be fine. It made me just feel really, really good. So as I was thinking of this story, I was staring down at my desk and I said, you know, just because I saved the hawk, that doesn't mean that it's my spirit animal. But then I felt something I like this, this compelling thing. And I looked up and my desk overlooks my uh, balcony in Brooklyn. And there's a tree with a branch that's about eye level. And I, Dana, I shit you not, there was a hawk sitting right there the whole time.
1: Oh and I my said, God, okay. chills. I said, I
0: said, that's okay. That's my spirit animal.
1: If that is not a clear sign. To listen to, I don't know what is. That's so cool. And there's two of them, right and now. There's,
0: and there's two of them. Yeah. So I, I love when I'm when I'm writing. Um, you know, sometimes I know like when I'm going somewhere really cool, somewhere really good, and I'll look up, and there'll be at least one. But uh, lately, there've been two. They've been they've been flying in pairs. But I just take that as thank you. I know I'm on the right path, and I'll just keep going down that avenue. Of writing because it's usually it's usually when it's like um something that i don't know you know i'm exploring some things that really uh scare me or i don't understand and i want to have a deeper understanding and it's a real challenge for me mm. like it really it's part of the reason i love writing is like I, I write to learn if i'm not learning something about myself then how is the reader going to learn you know, that's, that's my viewpoint on it. So I really want to like go to those places that I don't want to go.
1: Mm-hmm. And when
0: those hawks start flying around, I'm like, okay, thank you.
1: Yeah. It's like, keep going. Yep. We got you. I feel like, well, that makes a lot of sense because I mean we've talked so much just in life and about work and about growth. Right. And um, I got to read I think two drafts, maybe three drafts of your book, um, Blank Canvas, before it was published, which I was really grateful to be asked to do that. Um, And every time it just like revealed more and more of you and in turn revealed more and more of myself. It was like, because you were courageous enough to go there, I was courageous enough to put myself there or think about like how that reflects in my own life, where you know i received so many insights just from reading your story your experience and not from a like step 1 this is what you should do step 2 this is what you should do it was very much just like i was on the journey with you so it was a good you were a guide in in that sense
0: you have no idea how much that means to me i know we've we've chatted before but i mean you have like no idea how much that means to me like that feedback from people, because that was the, that was a six-year journey of just taking each draft and cutting deeper and deeper. You're the, you've read it more times than anybody. So thank you for that. I I cannot, cannot thank you. The final draft is
1: definitely the best one.
0: (laughs) thank God. You would come in and be like, number two really was it. You really, you kind of screwed the pooch on it after that. But no, I mean, it's just that feedback. Like, how do you quantify that? You know, how do you, it's impossible to, like going through, it was literally the most torturous thing I've ever done. But at the same time, it was the most rewarding thing I've ever done.
1: So let's and, back up a little bit and give yeah. everyone a little bit like insight as to what we're talking about. So why don't you share your story, Um however it feels right to share it.
0: Absolutely. And I, I you know, I'm going to start with the basics. So my name is Craig Stanland. I live in Brooklyn, New York. I am a bestselling author, a reinvention architect and a TEDx speaker. And how I got there is really the crux of I think everything that you and I have been chatting about. So I'll rewind really quickly. And on September 30th, 2012, I had to what everybody would think, you know, from the outside looking at would say was it all. I owned four homes, I drove the BMWs, I wore the Panerai watches which are like five figures. I ate at the finest restaurants in Manhattan and Greenwich, like VIP status at some of these places. Uh, Married to an amazing woman. I mean, everything looked really great. I had it all on September 30th, 2012. Um, Sorry, 2013. On October 1st, 2013, I had just started a new job. I had just walked in and I realized I'd have missed voicemail. A missed call and a voicemail. And so I put it up to my ear and I listened, and this is what I heard. Mr. Sandlin, this is Special Agent McTiernan with the FBI. We are at your residence and have a warrant for your arrest. You need to call us and come home immediately, or we will issue a warrant with the federal marshals. For just under a year, I committed fraud against one of the largest technology companies in the world. And on October 1st, it caught up to me. And I lost everything. That was the, that was the day that my life changed. And the day that I began my descent to rock bottom.
1: Every time I hear you say that, share that piece, it's, it's, it gives me chills. It gives me, you know, it fills me with so much emotion. Um, and to know how that, like you said, you lost it all on that day, but I think you've realized how much you've gained now through that whole experience. How would you say that, I mean, you can go through it, Like, how was it those first few months of your life after that um, day where you were arrested?
0: Can I, um, I'm actually going to go like, uh, back to what you said, like at the beginning of that, and really yeah. the real thinking that I lost it all, but realizing what I lost wasn't all that important and losing all of that allowed me to gain everything. And we'll, I know we'll jump into that, but yeah, I'll, there's so I'll, much in there, mm-hmm. there's so, there's so much in there, but those first couple of months. So my, uh, when I was arrested, I was assigned what's called a pre-trial probation officer. And that's basically probation. You know, I had to abide by certain rules. And she was really nice. And she, she gave me a piece of advice that was meant to be really kind. She told me, do not go home and Google prisons. Don't do it. It's going to scare the bejesus out of you. Don't try to figure out what kind of prison you're going to. Don't do any of that. It's going to scare you. So I didn't. I didn't do any research. And I just allowed my imagination to go that, uh, you know, I'm going to go to a prison. That's like what I see on Oz, like what we see on TV. And at the time of my arrest, I'm about the same weight now, give or take. But, you know, I'm 5'4", 140 pounds. I have a devastating right hook, but that's not going to mean a damn thing in prison. I spent those first few months thinking that I was going to get raped and beaten every single day. I genuinely believe that. And that's just a, to have that uncertainty, those first several months of the dark cloud of uncertainty, no matter what I did, um, even if it was something that I enjoyed, which was hard to find joy in that time, but there were, there were moments, I, I, would, I would feel a, a smidge of joy and then immediately the dark cloud would come back over. And it was the dark cloud of uncertainty and also the, I'm unworthy of smiling right now because I'm such a piece of shit for what I did to myself, to my wife, to my family, to society. Uh, It it was terrible. And it wasn't until about four months after my arrest, I met somebody who I'm still very good friends with to this day, who runs a a support group for white-collar defendants, people who have gone through the justice system. And he told me, he said, you're not going to one of those prisons. You're going to go to a prison camp where you'll be with other white-collar offenders and nonviolent offenders. So that was a tremendous relief, but it's still the unknown.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, you
0: still don't know what that's going to look like. It's just sheer terror. If I was to describe, I just went a really long way to use two words that really nail it, sheer terror.
1: Yeah. I can imagine just becoming unraveled and deteriorated, but from that fear, from that uncertainty, just like wearing at you day after day until you actually find out where what your sentenced where you're sentenced and what your sentence is. So I feel like we need to also, I mean, I know your story so well. I don't want to do you a disservice by skipping over things, you know, for people who are listening, because there's a really important point that you I think came to realize about why you even committed that felony in the first place, like at your core, what beliefs, value, worth were driving you to even make those choices that you made um, in your life at that point? Do you wanna go there?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, There is like so much there. I mean, like there is so much and it's taken me a really long time to navigate all of that and to make sense of it and kind of two different paths i'd like to go on this number one is you know with all that success with all of that money and all of those things and my wife i never felt worthy of any of them i felt like an imposter every step of the way and it's just a terrible way to live and i really because i felt like an imposter I had to like create this. I had to create something. I had to create this facade. I had to, you know, become somebody, and it became interwoven with my things and my ability to buy those things. You know, I was my BMWs. I was my fancy watches. I was those, you know, sometimes three hundred dollars bottles of wine. That became who I was. It was so inextricably interwoven, and something really interesting started happening. Was um, a couple of things actually. The products I was selling were becoming more commoditized. So the margins were shrinking. So my paychecks were shrinking. I got so caught up in the lifestyle that I wasn't working as hard. And so I just wasn't showing up to work the way that I should. So that's impacting my paychecks. And quite frankly, the industry was, it was evolving and I was afraid to evolve with it. So now we've got three different factors that are just contributing to my shrinking paychecks. And that's a very, that's a threat against my identity who I am as a, you know, as a man on this planet, as being threatened. So I had to figure out a way to, to do that. And then the other path on that is, I always wanted to create my own thing. I always wanted to, I didn't think about at the time, I always, I liked writing, but it kind of like, um, it got lost in the responsibilities of adulthood. You know, it just became like one of those things. How can you make money on that? It's silly. It's foolish. But I still, I didn't think I wanted to write a book, but I really thought about writing a screenplay. I used to have movie ideas all the time. And I would share them with people and be like, you should write that. And be like, yeah, I should. I always wanted to start my own business. Uh, and I would have ideas. And I would tell people, and they, "Oh, well, you should do that. I was like, yeah, I should. Uh, I always wanted to invent something. My father is a patent attorney. So I kind of grew up, you know, a little bit with that creativity. And you know I'd tell share ideas. You should invent that. Yeah, I should. I was too damn scared to do any of those things. I was so scared and because I thought that I had to blow up everything and start from scratch to be able to do the things that I really wanted to do. and I didn't have the courage to do that. I just didn't have the 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 courage and the wherewithal to do that. And so I created this fraud in a sense, as a business. I really called it a business. It was Stephen Pressfield, the author Stephen Pressfield has a, um, a great term. He calls it a shadow career. It is, for example, if you really want to write a book, but you only work at the publish company and publishing company and you've never written a word. You want to be an artist, but you worked at an art supply store, but you've never put in brush to canvas. Mm-hmm. And so my fraud became this shadow career to kind of fulfill that, that desire to create something. And behind all of that was that you know that fear and belief that I had to start from scratch to be able to create the life that I wanted, and I really do think that I subconsciously blew up my life so that I could rebuild from scratch. I know it just said a ton, and there's a lot to unpack there.
1: <laughs> yes, totally, but I think the the thing that really resonates with me in Connecting to like a a streamline of your or like a wavelength of your story is feeling like an imposter in your own life, feeling like you're not enough, no matter what you surround yourself with, no matter how much you produce, no matter how much money you're making you what you are trying to fulfill yourself with ultimately. Is unfulfillable. It's like a a ta- uh, a task that won't ever be complete because the energy that you're running that program with that life with is essentially I am not enough. So nothing will ever fill that if you truly believe I am not enough. I am not worthy of you know this job this dinner table of all these people surrounding me of this car of this relationship it has nothing to do really with the material stuff it all has to do with like the inner belief driving why you're doing what you're doing and even if someone doesn't go out and commit fraud or commit a crime ultimately you're going to do whatever it takes to 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 keep that identity Um, to control that identity, to to not let it be taken away from you because ultimately it's outside of you. It's not within you. This conversation is so, so good, but I just wanted to take a moment to invite you to my five-day free workshop all about how nutrition can improve our mental health. It's going to start, sorry, on February 28th and run through the week of March 4th, so five-day workshop. We're going to be meeting live every day, and then the replays will, of course, be available to you. This is truly a workshop for anyone who is looking to improve their mental health. We're gonna talk about techniques that you can do daily that can regulate your nervous system and reduce anxiety and depression symptoms. These techniques are all backed by science. They are nervous system regulating, meaning they have to do with the body and neuroscience, so the body affecting the brain. We're gonna talk about how to identify the nutritional root causes of anxiety and depression, stuff that you may not have ever even known about. We're gonna talk about surprising triggers in your daily routine that are just negatively impacting your mental health. Things that you might know about and things that you might not even realize are bringing your mental health down. We're gonna talk about how to shift your nutrition to support your mental health. I'm also going to dive into nutrition, sorry, nutrient deficiencies that are known to negatively impact our mental health as well as supplements that are scientifically proven to improve our mental health, improve depression and anxiety. So we're going to talk a lot about how to naturally relieve symptoms and how to naturally approach and resolve the root causes of depression and anxiety that are in our body. It's time, to learn how to listen and nourish your body back to health. And I am excited to empower you with this information, inspire you with this, and give you that glimpse of hope when sometimes it feels like there is none. So to sign up, it's totally free, but you just need to register. So you get all the info about where we're meeting and the times, and of course all of the info in the worksheets. So go down to the link in my bio in the show notes, and you will uh, be able to sign up. Can't wait to see you there. Let's get back into today's conversation.
0: That's uh, so beautifully said. And you know what I what I've said in the past is I was trying to fill a broken glass. And I was blind to the impossibility of that. Mm. And another analogy I use is I was on a treadmill trying to catch the horizon. It's never, it's never going to happen. And it really, you know, this is, this is actually, um, this is kind of the crux of I've started my second book. And this is kind of the, the crux of the second book is going to be a little bit deeper analysis into how we feel ourselves from within. And it really, you know, I believe, and i'm I'm borrowing very heavily from Victor Frankel, but that we all have a will to meaning. Mm-hmm. And it is up to us to find that meaning, to to seek, pursue, and do work that's in alignment with that meaning. And he, the, Freud will say that we have a will to pleasure, which is what I was doing by buying all the things. Mm-hmm. And Adler will say that we have a will to power, which is the money, the status, and the prestige. None of those things are ever going to fill us from the inside. It's only going to be really that meaningful work. And so that's what I'm thinking about for the second book is, you know, how that we can, how we can find that meaning and how we can move through. Like I said, I lacked the courage to do it. So how do we, how do we get the courage? How did I find the courage to, to go for what I want now?
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So that's, that's, that's where I'm kind of at. I mean, the first book took me a million words to write. I've written probably like 100,000 words already. I threw 80,000 of them out already. My (laughs) process is terrible. So we'll see what the end result comes out. And by the way, you'll be reading this one three times as well, too.
1: (laughs) Well, I can't wait um, because I'm already interested in that topic. That's stuff that I work on with myself every single day as it is. So I'm excited to hear your interpretation of it. Um, But- What have you, I mean, discovered in terms of when you, let's go here. So in your journey from getting that call, getting arrested to today, right, there have been key moments for you. Some people, you might describe them as rock bottoms. Some of them might have been highs. What were some of those catalyst points for you? And Can we work in like where your own mental health, your own mindset was um, challenged and maybe suffering through those catalyst points?
0: Yeah. So let's think, let's go with, we'll go with a rock bottom. We'll go with a rock bottom. So I was, I'll go with this one actually. So I was in prison for about a couple of months at this point. And it was unseasonably warm um, that fall. it was It was November. It was unseasonably warm. And so I was able to sit outside at a picnic table, and I was by myself and I was journaling, and there was a nice little breeze going, and it was making the leaves kind of the shadows dance on the on the table um, in front of me. Some guys were playing paddle ball. there was rap music coming from the gym. And I just went into this this kind of Really gentle days, if you will. And within that gentle days, all of a sudden, it was like a lightning bolt of understanding was hand-delivered to me by the universe of what really matters in life. And it's freedom and choice and family and friends and creativity. All these things that were at my disposal at all times that I ignored. It wasn't the fancy things. It wasn't all those, you know, wasn't the cars, wasn't the watches, wasn't the job title. All these things that don't cost anything. They were there. And I remember looking like just up at the sky and saying, I get it. I understand. I won't fuck it up this time. And it was just so crystal clear. And the reason why this was a rock bottom was all of a sudden I hear the paddle ball uh, hitting the wall and I hear the rap music. I had snapped out of this trance and I look at my surroundings and I go back to that shame I was feeling. And I literally said, I'm going to die before I have an opportunity to exercise any of this. And that was such a rock bottom mentally to, to understand how much was always in front of me and available to me and that I did not, express any gratitude for. Mm -hmm. I took it for granted and really the belief that I was going to, to die before I could experience all of it. Why did you
1: believe you were going to die before you would ever experience that again?
0: I had, I had started thinking about killing myself um, after I was arrested and I started just drinking a tremendous amount, a tremendous amount. You know, I would fall asleep on the kitchen floor in the fetal position um, you know, crying, just thinking about my life insurance policy and how much my, my wife at the time could live off of that quite nicely.
1: If you weren't you know, here,
0: if I wasn't here, you know, and and you know, part of part of the arrest uh, because mine was a financial crime, you have to do a really deep forensic dive into your um, finances, and the numbers didn't lie because you know I lost my job and I lost everything that I was worth more dead than I was alive. I mean, the, the numbers were really, it was right there and you could see it plain as day. And that's very sobering. So well, I'd already at this started-
1: point, you were still in your, like, I'm not worth anything. Only money's worth, you know, money's obviously worth more than me alive Is is oh, where absolutely. you were coming from. That's what you believed. You were still really struggling with that belief.
0: Oh, completely. Absolutely. I didn't see that my life had any value whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And so suicide was that, was that shadow. And that's why I thought I was going to, to die before I got to, to use, to use that, that knowledge and that wisdom. And that was really crushing. Such a dark place. Oh, it's, it's, and it only got worse from there. So, I mean, if you don't mind, I'll go into the next, there's something. There was something so interesting for me. And I'd like to know, like with you on your journey, because, you know, we know each other and we've talked quite a bit, but I don't know if we've ever talked about this. So when I got arrested, right, uh, that was like rock bottom. Mm-hmm. And I'm putting it up here because there's a reason. <laughs> yeah. This isn't up here. Going. This is This is rock bottom. Uh-huh. And I was like, okay, rock bottom. And then I got into a wicked car accident on Christmas Eve that had nothing to do with it, but it was just boom. Mm-hmm. There's another thing. Um, small thing. I lost my engagement ring, like the only thing, or my wedding ring, rather the uh, the only thing that had like meaning to me at that mm-hmm. time. Because I lost everything. I lost that. Boom. The bottom, it, it, the bottom just kept falling out. And every single the time that I thought I had hit bottom and I would get a little bit comfortable mm-hmm. in that bottom, whoop, it would just disappear and I'd mm-hmm. fall again. And it just was like, when is this going to stop? I'm curious if you, with you know, in your journey, if there was like tears of rock bottom.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I feel like I feel like I've had many rock bottoms. I feel like you know I always um, use the analogy of like a deep dark hole that you are in when you are struggling with depression, and I always imagine myself at the bottom of that hole but certain things like you might try and take a couple steps up how whatever that mechanism is and you know you're like clinging on to the side of this like dirty deep dark hole right you can like see the circle of light at the top but it's so far away and you're like clinging on for dear life like Alex Honnold on free solo in Yosemite right but he's like way more comfortable about it and then something happens and you just slide all the way back down. And so I feel like it wasn't I can't recall like significant things that knocked me back down over and over again, but I can remember feeling I'm back down here again, like I slid back down like and for me it could have just been um it could have just been like, you know, alcohol I was really sensitive to. So when I would go and do just like a normal, quote unquote, normal activity that I would have always done, which is go out with your friends on a weekend and drink, because that's what 20-year-olds seem to do, (laughs) Um, I would, the next day I would wake up and I wouldn't just have like a normal hangover. I would be depressed deeper and darker than I was the entire week previously. And I was like starting even lower than I had been um for so any progress that i felt like i made i felt like i was starting at the bottom again so that's what i would equate my experience with
0: that must have that must have just like added so much shame
2: oh totally
0: i mean there's shame during the week of like i feel this way and i'm maybe guessing i don't want to put words in your mouth but like oh i shouldn't be this i shouldn't feel this way i shouldn't do that and feeling crappy about feeling that way and now all of a sudden Mm -hmm. you did something that puts you even lower and it's just like what the hell
2: Mm -hmm. You know, that's
0: just got to be just so much shame. And that's, I think what's so interesting about that is the notion and the idea of just that dark hole. I think that, you know, if we were to do a study of people and rock bottom, I think that analogy would probably hold true just for so many people. Um, I think it's interesting. You had a little bit of light. At my worst, there was no light there. I couldn't even see a pinpoint of light. There was nothing. It was pure darkness. I was alone at rock bottom with the man who screwed up his life. And I hated that man. Mm. I hated that man with all of my might. I wanted to rip off my own skin. That's just all I wanted to do was just rip off my own skin and escape. And obviously can't do that. Suicide would have allowed that. Mm. You know, and I think that's my really, my deepest rock bottom was when my brain concocted a short film of what my own suicide would look like. It was very graphic. It was very detailed. And it played that on loop for every second of every day for four months straight of what it would look like to put a pistol in my mouth and squeeze the trigger.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And that just is, it's maddening. It's absolutely maddening. It became dug into my neural pathways. It just became a state of being.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's it, all it that's all that would play, like from morning till night. You would go about life in, in prison, and then it would just be there
0: everywhere be, you went. It would just be there every single place I went. I mean, you know, no matter how fast you run, you cannot run yourself. And it was, I, I couldn't shake it. I couldn't yeah. make it go away. And the thing is, I couldn't tell anybody what I was feeling, what I was experiencing. Couldn't tell any friends inside prison, because they might tell a guard. And if you mention suicide in prison, they lock you in solitary, and that they really they lock you in
1: solitary.
0: S- they lock you in solitary until you're no longer a harm to others or to yourself, and they take away all your things. They take away all everything that you have, and they put you in a tiny little box with like no window. So and it's like a
1: protection thing, but meanwhile, it's actually, I mean, making the individual worse. Oh,
0: uh, um, absolutely,
1: isolating somebody from any inch of outside life is, as we all know, like loneliness and isolation is probably one of the worst things you can do when somebody is really experiencing that level. I
0: think you used a great word there. Isolation prison is an interesting place. I was um, in a smaller camp where we had anywhere from 116 to 118 inmates, um, but it still felt, and it, it was tight. You were always around people, but I always felt isolated. So the idea of further isolation on top of that, it it was too crushing. So I just had to keep it all bottled up inside of me. And, you know, it was getting to the point where I would go to sleep at night and I would just pray. I would just, I'm not a religious man, but I think when we're all really at rock bottom, we'll pray to whatever we think will listen to us. Mm -hmm. And, And I was just praying, please make it stop. Please make it stop. Please make it fucking stop. And every single morning, I would just be disappointed when my eyes would awake to the light of a new day. I was crushed that I was, you know, the hand, of, the hand of death didn't, you know, give me a heart attack in my sleep or just an aneurysm or something mm-hmm. to, to put me out of my misery.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, just and to release you from that torture.
0: Just to release. And, you know, I was trying to figure out ways I could kill myself inside prison. Like, can I go to the woods and hang myself? Well, if I get caught going into the woods, that's an escape charge. And now I'd be two years added on to my sentence in a place that's not a camp. I'd be going to one of those places that I was really scared of. It's like, that's not viable. But if I hang myself in the gym, well, my friend Sal would be the one because he always opens the gym. He'd be the one to find me and feel right about doing that. So now all of a sudden I became this coward who couldn't figure out a way to kill himself. And that just added to the shame.
1: It's amazing how the mind can like really create this enormous like it's like shame spiral it's like i'm feeling shame that i can't even commit suicide like what a you know like what it just shows the depths and the power at the mind at its worst
0: it it really it really does and you know we can get into this so this is like um, related but maybe a side tangent it's just like what voice do we listen to You know, what voice do we listen to? Do we give credence to that voice that calls us a coward because we can't end our own life? You know, do we listen to that or do we listen to the voice at this point that was merely a whisper, but was just thinking, you know, boy, I've started writing this book. I don't know where it's going to go. And it's causing me a lot of pain. But I, I like my couple hours of writing. Mm-hmm. You know I'm finding some peace and solace in that. You know, which voice do we listen to? which voice is which voice is looking out for us?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's so well said, but yeah, there are experiences where I have not seen any light either, And you can't get away from yourself no matter how hard you try to distract yourself, right? You're just like, there she is. (laughs) That, that darkness, there she is. She's running my mind. She's making me physically anxious. She's constantly like this, there's this cloud of, of doom over me. I can't see any hope. I can't see any way out of this. And then it's really hard to hear that, you know, we'll call it like the consciousness voice, the voice or your subconscious, like the voice of your soul, the voice of of you, who you truly are, um, that gets buried underneath our thoughts, that gets buried underneath our stories, that gets buried underneath our shoulds and shouldn'ts, all of that. Um, but how did you, did you have a connection to that, like true you at that time? Like, were you able to find a slice of peace in your writing moments like did that exist for you at that rock bottom
0: that was a really insightful question because what i said thank you for sharing what you just shared i think that's really really important you used a word in there that was used hope and i think the opposite of that which is what that dark hole is is two words hopeless and helpless Mm -hmm. and i think that is just so paralyzing but what I the reason that question was so insightful was that I was actually applying. Your, I'm going to I'm going to admit right now I was using a little bit of hindsight in 2020, and knowing that I did have some moments of peace when I was writing, but not in the moment. Mm-hmm. It was pure darkness. So thank you for actually for asking that. It was there was no light, there was nothing, and everything that you just said I think is really important. Kind of brings me to. We'll go into one of the highs. I needed something to knock me out of that. I needed something in a sense because I was so consumed by darkness. It was I needed, in a sense, that an external. And I was very fortunate that my external came from uh my friend, best friend coming to visit me.
1: Yeah, this was like a miracle. Honestly, it it
0: was it was it was an absolute miracle. I think the universe sent him to me, um, both for him and for me. Mm -hmm. But Uh, I got an email from my best friend, Sean. It was Wednesday afternoon. He said, hey, man, can I come this weekend for a visit? And I was like, yes, you can, because the visiting room isn't monitored. I can tell Sean that I'm suicidal and that things aren't good. And just the mere thought of being able to release this demon that had been torturing me for four months That gave me a little bit of relief. That Mm -hmm. took a little bit of the pressure off alone, you know. And I was like, oh my God, I can't wait for Sean to get here. I can't wait to tell him, you know, what's going on.
1: And you had no conception, you had no idea to reach out to any of your family or friends before this.
0: I couldn't invite them in. um, I couldn't, I couldn't um, actually, uh, emails are monitored. And yeah. phone calls are monitored. So I had to keep it completely bottled up. I was But even not like, willing. hey,
1: can you come for a visit or anything like that?
0: Didn't feel worthy of asking people to come for a visit. And there's something really interesting um, in prison. And I, I speak for some of my friends inside. We we felt, and I, want to, I don't want to speak for all inmates, but I know that I'm not the only one who has felt the way uh, that I'm about to say. We feel like uh, animals in the zoo that people are coming to look at and it's really hard even though we know that they we know that they love us it's just very embarrassing and filled with shame to have a family member come see you in that environment wearing your prison greens being confined it it was difficult so i didn't and I, i didn't feel worthy of even asking somebody to come visit you know, it was a long drive. Coming to prison is not a fun place. I was doing the thing like you were saying before, like we were just saying how the mind concocts all these things. Oh no, mm-hmm. every people are busy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, it's a two hour drive at a minimum for everybody. Oh, there's gas and there's this and there's right. time and right, all of the things has,
1: that our yeah. self worth just tells us. Oh yeah, it's too inconvenient. So
0: you know, they've got jobs. They've got th- they've got more important things to do. Mm-hmm. You know, all of those things. So I didn't didn't even think of asking it just wasn't worthy of it and so for him to email me out of the blue and say you know can i come for a visit was huge and when he when he finally showed up finally it took like two days it was wednesday to saturday you know three days (laughs) but it took it It was an eternity yeah it was an eternity for me we sit down in the visiting room and I am on the verge of telling him everything. And I like literally I'm opening my mouth and he just unloads on me. He just unloads. He's got money issues, work issues. He's getting divorced and he, he had a sadness in his eyes and in his voice that in 30 plus years of friendship, I've never seen before. And it was at that moment, this ties to what you were just saying before, how I thought I was worth, you know, I didn't realize that my life had worth outside of money. It was at that moment that I realized that I had worth outside of all of the things that I had thought made me worthy. It wasn't my cars. I wasn't my watches. I wasn't my salary. I was a friend and nothing more. And so the day I was arrested was the day my life changed. The day of Sean's visit was the second day my life changed.
1: Mm.
0: That was a huge inflection point in my life.
1: So your needing or... You're being needed, not for your money, not for your house, your homes, right? But just for you being able to be there for him and listen, gave you a fulfillment that you weren't able to see before all the other distractions were in your life.
0: Gave it to me crystal clear, crystal clear. And this was years ago, and I have spoken about this a lot. I mean, this is the the foundation of my TED talk, which you were at. Thank you again for coming to that. You're that was amazing.
1: almost th- two, three years ago. How long ago? It's God? coming up
0: on three. It's coming up on three. Twenty twenty,
1: we did it right before. Yeah, when, or
0: right twenty twenty, yeah, twenty twenty, yeah, February twenty
1: right. twenty. Yep.
0: Yep. Um, you know, it's still. I still get choked up telling that story because of how powerful it really was to to have that understanding. What's interesting is I never ended up telling Sean in that moment, at that visit, all the demons I had because I didn't need to. I just listened to him. And then we just, once he unloaded, we could talk about, you know, the kind of the fun stuff, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. our friends up to, you know, Jason's being a jackass, Rob's doing this, you know, like we could just go through all of those things. And I didn't feel the need to tell him that. And that night, um, I didn't go to sleep praying to die. And the next morning, it's not that I woke up. It wasn't rainbows and unicorns. I was still in prison, but I wasn't disappointed to see the light of a new day. And that was that like pinpoint of light at the end of the tunnel. You know, that was, that was like really, I was like, oh, sh- oh shit, there, there is a pinpoint. There is something.
1: Yeah. And it,
0: t- it took a long time, but that was, that's how it started
1: now how did you um let's say replicate that or i want i want to want to say hold on to it or maybe you did but how did you like identify like what that was in energy form or just in words or in value um and how did you bring that in other ways into your life again and again so that you could it could expand and you could continue to rise out of that dark hole.
0: So that there's one word that that comes to mind as value is that I had value. You know, which is the equivalent of worth. Um but I remember when I started rebuilding and reinventing, it was just that I had value as a friend. And that just like I said gave me that that pinpoint and something something dawned on me that I've got and it's ch- I've got a second chance at life. You know, I was planning on killing myself. A visit stopped me from wanting to kill myself. So I felt like I have a second lease on life. And I said, I was like, "What do I want to do with this? How do I give meaning to the suffering?" That was something really important to me. I was not worthy of giving myself meaning yet, mm. uh, which I think is very interesting. But I really. I wanted to give meaning to the suffering that I had caused, uh, you know, my now ex-wife, my family, I, 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 that was really important to me. And so how can I do that? And that led me to a lot of inquiry. And that is something that I still do to this day. Ask myself questions. You know, I was like, so when I, this is important to know because we talked about that voice. And so when I, my, my fraud was done through a laptop. So it was, a series of hitting the send button and clicking the mouse button and all those things. The first time that I initiated the fraud, my voice, when I was hovering over the send button, said, stop, don't do this. This is not the way. You know, that higher self voice, it told me not to do it. And I ignored it. And my fraud took thousands of choices, thousands of mouse clicks to perpetuate over 10 months. And every single time I ignored that voice. Mm-hmm. I knew what I was doing was wrong and I ignored it. I just plowed forward regardless. So now that I'm giving meaning to the suffering and I'm doing this sense of inquiry, it was if I knew it was wrong, why did I move forward? One of the questions that I asked um, was really powerful for me was why did I sacrifice so much for so little? The actual net proceeds of my crime were not that much. It's a lot of money but in the scheme of life, it's nothing. And so mm. why did I sacrifice so much for so little? What was missing? What was I trying to fill? Mm. You know, and then these, these words started coming to me, you know, like empty and, you know, the value part. And it's like, what did I value? What was, why was I empty? What was missing? Mm-hmm. And that just led me to a practice I still do to this day is that inquiry, but also through my stream of conscious journaling. So eight years later, I rarely miss a day of journaling. You know, it's that important to me. And just,
1: do you ask, oh, sorry. Go, please go. Um, what is stream of conscious journaling? Is it you asking questions and then answering them in writing form or something different?
0: So in the beginning, when I was in prison, I was a little bit more structured with my journaling. You know, I was kind of trying to accomplish something. Now, what I do is really what I would call that stream of consciousness. So I have my black and white composition notebook like we used to use in high school and college. Mm -hmm. I've got my pen and I sit down. I put on some binaural beats or um, this pianist that I really like, something really calming and soothing. And it's literally whatever comes to mind. No filter, no anything. Don't worry about grammar. I can't read my own writing uh, when I do this, I write, so I'm, I'm a messy writer anyway. Uh, but I do this to get the stuff out of me. And when I say I write anything, if my brain, if, if something comes up where I'm stumbling and I'm like, Hmm, what am I trying to say? I write H M M M M M. I write everything. If I go, Oh shit. Oh fuck. I mean like whatever Mm -hmm. I write every single thing. Um, if I'm going down a path and something pops in that has nothing to do with anything, I will write that thought. It's just capturing all of it. And now naturally there are questions that bubble up. And I think this is something that's so powerful with journaling. When you, when I started doing it for long enough, there were themes and patterns that came up. They may be expressed with different wording, but the, the core of them, uh, fear, self-worth, not being enough, you know, um, not trusting myself, these things would pop up. And I said, wait, a, you know, wait a second, I'm saying it differently, but this is the same thing that I wrote about yesterday or a week ago uh, and a month ago. And like really looking at that and, and really having an in, intuitive understanding that I need to dig into that. That's telling me something. And so that was where those questions come from.
1: That excites me so much. And I always um, am talking about asking, your, when you ask better questions, you get better answers, right? If you ask yourself, like, why am I such a piece of shit? Then you'll get those answers. But if you ask yourself, like, huh, why do I say that every time I'm uncomfortable or I feel like I'm backed into a corner? And then you can start with the exploration of that and really get to know yourself, know yourself at all sorts of versions of you, and then you get to see those patterns show up. Because all those words that you just shared are human, human things, and everyone's manifestation of what their self-worth, their value, their fear um, inside of them is going to manifest outside of them might look different on the outside, but it all comes back to those same like those same beliefs that are limiting, right? Those same beliefs that are holding us back um in our stories and our ideals, whether it's through life, I mean, through life experiences of any sort, could be little T traumas, could be big T traumas. Um, but ultimately they're what's running the show in our life, and we don't even realize that we're running this this like program, so to speak. Um, but when we start to do things that take us from being within it and just like totally absorbed in it and you're just like along for the ride versus take you outside of it where you can then sort of observe it or at least become aware of that this thing is happening again. Like what is this thing? Journaling is an amazing way to do that. Meditation is obviously another amazing way to do that. so I know that you do both. you do a ton of things, which are really, really cool and I want to just like tap on them because people need to un just to understand and know how cool these things are and how amazing they are for connecting to yourself. But what I want to know is how is journaling different for you than meditation when it comes to seeing your own patterns and stuff like that.
0: Ooh, wow. That's a, that's a really, that's a really good one. And I've got to actually give that a smidge of thought. Journaling is, it's very, how do I just, it's very active for me. It's extremely active. It is very fast and furious. You know, I just really go down so many different avenues where, Yes, I'm observing, but it's you know really, it's really going. It's going deep. Whereas opposed to meditation, is the deepness is different. It is focusing on the breath. You know, I do. I, yeah, I count my breath up to ten, then I start back down at one, and note just observing when my mind goes to different places, and just saying thinking, thinking, and coming back to the breath. So it is active but it's not what I do is I don't explore the thoughts that come up when they come up. I save that. So I my process is um I wake up, I jump into my cold shower and then I how many
1: how long are you up to in cold showers right now?
0: I don't even really I don't even time it. It's and you know for me it's actually now it's not even so much the duration. It's just doing in a sense the plunge.
2: Mm. Because
0: I've been doing this for February is going to make four years and quite frankly, it still sucks. Yeah <laughs> Especially if my I love still. that you say
1: that. I, people need to know. <laughs> it, it, it,
0: it, it, it sucks and I think that's part of that's actually why I do it. it.'s um you ever hear the swallowing the frog? Yeah, swallow the frog mm-hmm. first. That is my version of swallowing the frog first.
1: Doing the so hardest thing
0: the to hardest challenge thing. yourself
1: for the yep. day. You're like, yep. I did that. I can do anything.
0: Exactly. That's you know that's why I do it. So, you know, I don't even know how long I'm in there uh, to be honest with you. Like I do it until it kind of hurts a little bit. And then I turn the water on warm, heat up a little, and then, you know, go. And I hit the, I hit my meditation stool and I do that for 20 minutes and then five minutes of affirmation, which I also call um, meditation because I do do it in front of uh, my Juve red light.
2: Mm. Mm -hmm.
0: And that's timed for 20 minutes. And then the fan On the juve is it runs for five minutes so it works out perfectly for me so it's 20 minutes of straight up meditation following my breath and then the five minutes of my my affirmations Mm -hmm. then i'll go into some of my movement i'll do a yoga i've been practicing with qigong um you know i do some like push-ups and squats i do some of that just to get the blood flowing then i sit down to write and i think that's kind of important because that meditation has opened up the door for some of those themes and those thoughts that will be coming up and when by the time i sit down to actually start journal start journaling if you know if i want to i can explore the things that came up during meditation that's why it's more active you know that's why it's a little bit more um you know really digging in deep you know if something hit me in meditation, where like you know, it's an epiphany, or those limiting beliefs that you were talking about, which are—I mean, you and I could talk about that for an hour alone because that's such a rich topic. I mean, there's just so much there of how we get in our own way. Um, but the, that journaling really? You know, sometimes I explore what it came up in meditation. Sometimes I don't. You know, it really. This I think is so important. This this is so important. Is what do I need right now? What. Do is my intention in doing this and so for all of those practices before i jump in the cold shower everybody why am i doing this um sometimes it's to swallow the frog sometimes it's to be my best self sometimes it's uh sometimes to be if i'm being honest it's like i'm on a streak and i don't want to break it you know it's <laughs> kind of a kind of an egotistical petty reason but i i set the intention before each of these activities including the journaling so it's like what is my intention on that, you know, on this practice and i let that guide me. I know it was a very long way to go, but I hope that answered your your question.
1: No, it did. I was gonna ask too like why do you do these things? What is your what is your hope to get out of them? Um even in the discovery, because you didn't just wake up one day and start doing all of those things, right? So even in the discovery of what does make me feel my best Would you say that was where your, like the question um, was coming from? Like, what do I need right now? Let me try out this practice. Let me try out that practice. I I know some people talk to me and they're like, I really want to start a morning routine, but I just like, they try and do all the things. And then it just becomes like, you know, you're just going through the list. You don't even know why you're doing them. They're not really connecting to themselves when they're doing it. They're just trying to like, check it off, check it off. So what? what how did you start doing all these things and what would you say the like more often than not the theme that you do them for what is that
0: so i'll i'll start with you know how i how i began um i began like the people that you speak <laughs> with uh checking things off the list I heard this was good. I heard that was good. I started in prison. So I started um, my three core, core foundational practices that I still do to this day, meditation, stream of conscious journaling, and practicing gratitude. I began all of those in, in prison and they were things that I heard were good. Mm-hmm. And you know, the journaling honestly came a little bit naturally uh, because I just needed—I needed that outlet. So that's where that came from. Um, gratitude also came a little bit naturally. I didn't realize that that was actually a practice at the time. Um, you know, the meditation was a should and my morning routine has taken years to refine, but in the beginning, it was doing all those things, checking all the boxes. I was following the shoulds of, uh, you know, the billionaires, what billionaires do before 6am that you're mm-hmm. not doing, you know, you should be doing. And, you know, I'm buying into all this crap and I didn't have my why I didn't have anything. And it was just kind of tuning into myself and saying like, this doesn't jive with me. This doesn't feel good. And and giving myself the permission to let go of some of the practices.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, I think that was such a huge thing. Like, oh God, you know, I've been, um, it's funny. I'm trying to think of an example of something like that I gave up. I think there was some kind of, you know, morning exercise routine that I was doing that was like supposed to really, you know, get you going and like this is you know so and so said that it was the best thing ever and this celebrity endorsed it and that celebrity and I was doing it for a long time and I'm like it doesn't feel good you know and to give myself that permission and not let that shame come in and say that it's another thing that I'm letting go and giving up on. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And just saying no this isn't serving me. And then the other part, like why am I doing these things? This is um this is really important I think getting very crystal clear. On what it is that I want to create in my life and the things that I want to do. And then building structures around that that are going to point me in that direction. So the reason that I still meditate to this day and journal and practice gratitude, they are an exploration of myself that is an, is an excavation into those areas that I'm scared to go into. And that is how I'm able to do the work with my clients and write the stuff that I write. And so that's why I do those practices is they are a deep dive exploration into myself and to really understand that. You know, part of this journey was getting that, you know, my brain is my greatest asset and also understanding how to use my brain to leverage it in the smartest way possible because it was also the thing that got me in trouble and so when i started looking into studying how the brain actually works and going down that road it was like okay now i'm getting a little more clarity on these why i do certain things why i behave in certain ways what's important and then that like i said that clarity on the goals that i want to have and what's going to help me get to those goals so that's often that's how i structure it now
1: yeah it really changes when you connect to why you're doing the things that you're doing. When you connect to an intention that's meaningful for you, which when I say that, it means the energy that I show up with in that moment. Um, When I use the word intention, it's a, it's, it's not really a thought. I guess it has to come from a thought, but it is a presence that I bring that isn't like, A should, like a should, I have, I should meditate this morning. You know, you just see my face. I'm like, yeah, I should do it. And then you are already in resistance to it. Therefore, you're missing so many things just in that space, in that energy space. But when I intentionally connect to, because I just started meditating regularly, and I'm finally getting this with medit like with meditation with movement, it's there. I it's it's not a should ever. It's not a have to ever. It's a I want to. But um, I think I gave my myself permission to not have to do it. I gave myself permission to have it not have to look a certain way, a certain amount of minutes, um, a certain location, a certain program. And instead just connect to kind of just being open to what's there for me when I am meditating. That's kind of what it's changed to. It's not even like I have an intention that I want this to make me happy. I want this to make me, you know, be open to the world today. It's, I'm just curious what what who I am in this meditation. And so it's a lot different. Um, it's a lot of different energy. So I think that just with you and your coming to find all these things that connect you to that for yourself um, is just another example of how important it is to continue to ask yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? How is this, is this serving me? Is this actually helping me or am I forcing myself to do it because it's, I think I should do it? Um, yeah
0: should's a terrible word. I mean, it it's funny. A t- I could see. Terrible word. It's a terrible word. I mean, your whole dynamic shifted when you said that, like I should meditate. I mean, just like your face and your shoulders and that's, that should is just that guilt-inducing word.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's terrible. But and people really don't is.
1: listen to that response in their own body when they think like, oh, I should go and exercise today, right? And then It's not even about the exercise. I mean, it might be about that type of movement. Maybe you're like, I actually hate doing this. This is not fun. I don't enjoy this at all, but I should do it. So I'm going to force myself to do it. But that they don't listen to that response in that their body is telling them, which all comes back to trusting your own self, trusting your own body, trusting the messages that your body is sending you and being open to explore something new, something different
0: i think what's so important in that is that being open to explore and there you know with something like meditation there is to me no right no wrong there just is you just do and we start putting that weight on like oh i'm not doing it correctly i'm not doing this i should be i should be wearing the right clothes i should be kneeling this way and all those things no it's just sitting and being and observing and just giving yourself that permission to know that the mind is going to wander There's going to be crazy thoughts that come through and it's okay. It's okay. You know, one of the most powerful things that I've like for myself through, and I discovered this through journaling was, you know, I was beating myself up about something and, you know, I can't even remember the thing. And I think that's also speaks volumes. I can't remember the thing that led Mm -hmm. to this massive epiphany. It shows how much, how little weight that actually carries. But I remember writing like, you know, practicing acceptance, which is one of my core values but saying, okay, I feel this way right now, not fighting it, accepting it, and then writing, I feel this way right now, and there's nothing wrong with it. Didn't fight it, didn't anything, just being open to it. And what you want to guess what happened to that feeling?
1: You probably felt it, and then it went away, and then dissipated.
0: Exactly. That's exactly what happened. And that's just been like this great tool that I've been using. It's just, you know, so when we start trying to do something new or, you know, bringing something new in our life, we don't want to force it. But if we feel a certain way, I think it's so important to just say, okay, I feel this way and there's nothing wrong with it.
1: Mm -hmm. We make
0: ourselves wrong. We're going to fight and we're going to be miserable about Mm -hmm. things, but just there's nothing wrong with it.
1: Totally agree. You know? Totally agree. I'm curious, have you struggled with any anxiety or depression or any other mental health stuff since coming out and what has helped you through that?
0: Yes to all of those. Uh, I definitely in when I, when I was released, um, you know, I felt really, I felt okay about life but the the reality of life started uh, weighing on me. You know, I am working at a gym making $12 an hour, and I'm a couple million in debt. Um, who's going to date a felon? You know, what am I, what's my future look like? And I very clearly remember waiting for the uh, the F subway um, at Delancey Street. And when it was pulling up, I said, you know, I'd had one of those thoughts. I was like, I could throw myself in front of it. And then, you know, that turned into the shame spiral of, I thought I was through all of this. I thought I was done with all of this. Um, You know, so that was definitely, I realized that I wasn't, you know, done with that thought. And to be very mindful of the fact that it's not just something that one shakes off. (laughs) It's not a cramp in the leg. You don't walk it off. It's something that's, you know, present and something that has to be loved and embraced. And again, I think it goes back to I didn't have this wherewithal. I'm applying what I just said to several years ago, but yes, I feel this way, and there's nothing wrong with it, you know, not even making that wrong, but the you know definitely a lot of depression on what my life was going to look like, and then Tied to that was that anxiety of what is my life going to look like? Yeah. (laughs) You know, that like two sides of the same coin. I'm I'm a convicted felon. Who's gonna date me? How am I gonna get a job? Where am I gonna live? What's this gonna look like? I can't, um, you know, my my past, my past was driving the bus. Plain and simple. Mm -hmm. You know, it was driving the bus. And that caused me so much anxiety because how can I create anything in my life because I am a convicted felon? you know because i made these terrible choices and so there's a tremendous amount of anxiety from that you know there's thank god i got a friend um who heard about my situation and they were moving to seattle and offered me their apartment to sublease you know i've been here for six years now but at before that happened anxiety of who's going to rent to a felon anxiety of what if this what if the What if they end her lease and I have to move? Uh, Where am I going to live? Nobody's going to, they're going to do a background check and I'm screwed. So yeah, I mean, there's just all of those, you know, peaks and valleys of high, you know, I mean, that's part of life, highs and lows. I will say now that they are much fewer and far between. And this will answer the second part of your question. I know what I'm put on this planet to do. And I do, I do that every single day. That's that. what we started the you know, conversation with is that will to meaning.
2: Mm-hmm. I
0: know what gives me meaning. I know what my purpose is. I know I'm good at it. And I make sure I do it every single day. And if I take a day off, it's a conscious decision to do that. And my thing is writing. You know, I was that just is.
1: Ask, what is that yeah, meaning it's, for you?
0: It's, it's writing, it is, it is going deep within, going to those places I don't like to go, figuring out how to alchemize that in a way that I can put onto paper that's going to be entertaining and add value to the reader. And that is, that is what, that's my purpose. And that is my meaning in life. I spend two hours every day writing. Like I do not.
1: And that's not a should. That's a.
0: (laughs) there's, There's no if, ands or buts. (laughs) <laughs> i am writing and that's meditation's not a should gratitude's not a should um you know all of those little practices they aren't shoulds and writing is probably the least should of all of them i mean that is it's a given i am going to write even if i even if there's nothing in the tank i sit down and i follow hemingway's advice when he was stuck write one true sentence then write another then write another now you're writing doesn't matter if it's crap doesn't matter what it is, but I have to sit down and write.
1: When you say your your meaning is to write, is that unattached to any other person on this planet's eyes reading what you've written? Is that just like a pure, this is for me meaning? How does that work with you?
0: That's a really interesting question because the first book was written with a very clear um, purpose and intention was to help one person. That was really, um, and that that actually still fuels me very much to this day with my coaching and with my writing. However, with this second book, what has dawned on me on this journey to meaning is the desire to master my craft. I want to pursue mastery in writing, and I understand there's no such thing as a final end game on that, which I love. (laughs) I love that there's no perfect book. You know, there's no anything but i say that because yes i want to add value to the reader but i feel like i'm really doing it for myself and the the goal of achieving mastery in that craft fuels me so much and i honestly believe that if i'm able to do that if i'm able to really express myself from the deepest place in an honest and transparent way then I will reach somebody, and that would be amazing. So it's a little bit it's it's twofold.
1: Mm-hmm. I get that. I get that. That's super refreshing, too. To hear. Just, How so? Just in terms of people make meaning be this thing that's an outcome, or that, you know, fuels them because they get an end result of something. And, you know, I have to find my purpose. You know, like, what's my purpose is a question that you might hear people say or ask, or you might hear like, you know, 10 ways to find your purpose on the latest YouTube video. And they're not necessarily wrong, but I think that the come from is a lot different um, when you explain like why you do it, why the thing that you find meaning in is that way for you.
0: And that is such a loaded word purpose. You know, I know I used it and I think in a sense, I was fortunate that I went through everything that I went through because it allowed me to connect with that. Um, But those things, 10 ways to find your purpose and all the clickbait headlines, I think they are really sending the I think they're sending the wrong message that in order to live a fulfilling life you need to know your purpose I don't believe that
2: Mm -hmm.
0: you know I know mine and that's great but I do not believe that it's mandatory to live a fulfilling life Mm
2: -hmm. and
0: I think that meaning and purpose have very similar um, weights to them and definitions to them but I think they're very they're different
1: Mm, and I think
0: that what's that explain purpose to me in my own view has a weight to it it has uh a little bit of that external component that you were describing the outcome meaning to me is the actual act of doing you know i see that more of in the moment when i sit down at the keyboard that that alone gives me meaning i have no idea if what i'm writing is going to make the final cut if anybody's ever going to read it doesn't matter It's just the actual physical act of doing it. I think to me, a purpose has that, like I said, a little bit more external outcome. And it's just got that weight to it. You know, meaning can come from, and that's the other thing, meaning can come from anything. It could be, I know that you and I both share the love of walking outside. That's something that provides meaning. And that's where it's a little bit more open-ended, gives us a little more permission to experiment. Whereas walking outside isn't necessarily one's purpose Mm
1: -hmm. yeah and that's what
0: I think the difference is
1: I see that distinction I see that distinction yeah I see the difference I feel the difference in the weight of the of the words now that you've explained it that way I really I appreciate that thank you for the the proper English lesson from a writer (laughs) (laughs) You play with words all the time, so you are always feeling them. What is the actual right word to describe this?
0: It that's one of the things I really love about writing is that challenge of you know sitting there like writing a sentence and I'll write something and I'm like no not quite right and hit the delete button back 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 and I'm like what about that no 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 what about that yes I love that like what is the what is the word really trying to connect with that one of the best compliments I think you said this and. Um, Kandil said this about my book, um, was it, it felt like you agonized over every single word and that you deliberately chose every single word. And I was like, I did. So thank you.
1: Yeah. Which is why it's so good. (laughs) The book, the first book is called blank canvas. Have you named, come up with a name for the second book yet?
0: I have not. I'm calling it book two. In all of my documents that I save, it's uh, book two or B2. Playing around with the idea of, I I use this, I'm not in love with it, but I'm happy to share uh, the Tao of reinvention. But that sounds like a little bit much, it sounds like a little bit um, too much of a to do. And like you said earlier in our conversation, like, you know, a book that's like, do this, then do that. I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna do that. I wanna, you know, leverage my own personal anecdotes again to hopefully convey the message that does have a roadmap to really that that call to meaning yeah you know that thing that we're i think all i think we all have a calling and it's a question of connecting
2: with that calling and that's different from purpose as well
1: Mm. i'm just letting that settle um i know that you're going to come up with a great title when you know it comes to you as these things often do find us in a moment where we're not trying (laughs) exactly um all right so let's wrap this amazing insightful vulnerable conversation up and i will just ask do you have any just like final words of wisdom or insight for somebody who is kind of still stuck in their own dark and maybe they've seen a glimpse of light but it's you know it flickers they don't actually know that it's there all the time what would you say to that person
0: number 1 your past cannot define you without
2: your consent number 2
0: speak with someone who cares about you. Speak openly and speak transparently so that you know that you're not alone. Because when we believe that we're alone and we realize that we're not alone, it is one of the most empowering moments
2: of our life. And I was fortunate that my friend came to visit
0: me, but without that, I don't really know what my life would have looked like. And I didn't have the wherewithal to speak with anyone. And I encourage everyone to have that wherewithal to share openly, because when you share openly, you will realize that you're not alone and people will come back to you with their own demons and their own shadows. And then all of a sudden, you're not only not alone,
2: you're not different. When that voice is telling you that you are and that's what i think i would tell someone Mm. that was
1: beautiful thank you
2: thank Thank you for for sharing that uh...
1: thank you for being here
0: thank you for having this platform that allows people to come on and to have these conversations because this is this is that opportunity even to to hear somebody on a podcast and say something that clicks and registers and realizing that you're not alone, that you're not so different, that it's not so bizarre. And you have this platform that allows that. So I acknowledge you and you are an amazing friend and I'm grateful to know you.
1: Thank you. I love you. Feel the same. Love you too. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. And if you want to get Craig's book, which you definitely should, it's on Amazon and it's called Blank Canvas. By Craig Stanland, I'll put the link in the show notes, and definitely check out his TEDx talk. Um, is that is there a name to that one? If they were how I YouTube learned it? my
0: great yeah, how I learned my greatest worth in federal prison.
1: There you go, and I'll put the link in the show notes below. All right, thank you.
2: Bye, everybody. Thank you.